to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. On today's program, I'm going to give you an explosive dynamite update into what's really happening in America, what's really happening in the world in terms of the economic condition, the real economic condition in America, not the economic condition, which is the product of uh, corporate dominated media, which is lying to you. Corporate dominated media is lying to you because of this fact. The corporate dominated media has to lie to you because it is owned by, it is controlled by, it is dominated by, and it's fully beholding by the financial entities, the multinational corporations, the boards of interlocking directorates, etc., which have to, for their own economic profit and their own economic prosperity and their own economic livelihood, they have to, they must, for their own survival, they have to lie about the numbers as it relates to the economy. So they have to perpetuate uh, a series of economic mythologies, just like maybe once upon a time in America. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know your situation. But maybe once upon a time in America, you told your kids that Santa Claus was real. And in the process of telling your kids that Santa Claus was real, you may have done things like what I did. And I have mixed feelings about what I did, actually, if you really want to know the truth. But I, uh, I masqueraded as Santa Claus in front of my three young children. Now, I'd love to blame my wife, but it really wasn't her fault. I take full responsibility for it. I, I, I wanted. I, you know, I was aware of the dilemma that if you, if you mislead your children about the reality of Santa Claus, then perhaps you're setting your ch- children up not to believe you when you talk to them about God. And, and there's a certain validity in that equation. You know, when we're kids, we're very vulnerable to these primary, primal belief systems that are instilled to us by, by our parents. And so I remember that uh, I did it out of the desire to, to be entertaining. But a lot of things are done under the desire of being entertaining that are definitely not good for children. And I think we would all agree. So I concocted this scheme with my wife. This was, but it's my fault, not, not her fault. Um, first of all, we started the evening out and we left out milk and cookies for Santa Claus by the fireplace by the Christmas tree. And yes, we had a Christmas tree. And yes, I know the difference between uh, the, the pagan ritual celebration of a Christmas tree, and I know the difference between uh, the, the Christian origins of a Christian, tree, Christian uh, Christmas tree. I know the difference between the Christian origins, and I can contrast them and compare them with the pagan origins of a Christmas tree. And, and I taught that to my children later on. So my children were not like, you know, airheads who, who just had parents who, in an airhead way, taught their kids about, you know, a pagan Christmas tree. That's not how it went down. But I wanted to give them a good time. That doesn't justify what I did, but, but I, uh, I, I played Santa Claus. So I remember we, we, we got up early in the morning and, you know, we put on an act about how Santa Claus had come that night. And Santa Claus had visited us. And see, you can tell that Santa Claus was here because the evidence was that um, uh, Santa Claus was here because the milk was like three quarters, I can't even speak English, drunk, drunk, you know, you drink three quarters of a glass of milk. Okay, whatever the portion is left over. So my proof that Santa Claus had visited us was the fact that three quarters of a glass of milk was drunk and that cookies were eaten and there was only one half of a nibbled cookie left. And so we promoted the myth with the myth based on that, that Santa Claus had visited us that night and, you know, the kids went berserk with joy. Okay, so you can you can you can uh, make the valid criticism that this is this is not a wise thing to do. I'll accept that, and I'll even accept 
somebody challenging me as to my faith and what was my biblical worldview responsibility in, in, in perpetuating this like fraud of, of, of Christmas. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I definitively believe that I made the right decision in retrospect, okay? Because I would be a fool if I did that. There's no question that there's a dangerous, a toxic blend in, in the overemphasis on Christmas in our culture in that if nothing less, if nothing less, it takes the focus of children and it takes the focus of children, and if nothing else, it takes the focus of children off of uh, the Christ of Christmas, the, the, the boy Jesus, the baby Jesus born in a manger, uh, the, the Son of God. There was no room for, for him at the end. It takes your emphasis off the historical reality of Jesus and why Jesus was born into this sinful and dark world. And it actually, so the bottom line is the great danger of alternative Christmas stories, like the pagan Christmas story that circulated in our culture, the, the great danger is, is that a pagan substitute is used to replace the, the uh, historical record of the historical birth of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, I'm thinking out loud even as I talk to you, and as I'm thinking out loud even as I talk to you, I'm I'm. I mean, like flashbulb lights are going off in my mind, and I'm rethinking my position because, to be quite honest, in retrospect, now that many years have gone past, you see, we didn't want to fall into the syndrome of, you know, you Christian parents whose basic message to their kids is you can't do anything that's fun, you can't do anything that's in, in celebration, everything is sinful. And so on and so forth. I mean, don't kid yourself. It's easy to get into that mentality where you're defining your faith by nothing more than a series of negatives. And so perhaps I overreacted and went down that path. But the other path of just saying no, 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 no all the time doesn't seem to work. So in any case, I fooled my kids into thinking Santa Claus had visited us. Now, you know, even as I'm saying it to you now, I must admit to you that I do feel guilty for saying that. I do. I can't tell you why. No, I can tell you why I feel guilty. I feel guilty because I think deep down inside, I have some unresolved conflicts about celebrating Christmas and not wanting to, at the same time, not wanting to be a super legalist. So earlier on in the evening, uh, I, I got up on a series of ladders. I climbed onto the top of the roof of a two-story house we lived in. And uh, I climbed up on the roof and I banged against the walls of, of, the, of the roof. And I shouted with a, a, a belly laugh as, as best as I could, you know, ho, 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 ho. I just did it. I did that abysmally, by the way, but you get the idea of what I did. I, you know, I was saying ho, 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 and I was trying to sound like Santa Claus. And, and the kids were like electrified because, my God, Santa Claus had visited their home. And I did a very convincing portrayal of Santa Claus visiting their home and ho, 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 ho. And they were like an orbit of delight, okay? They were intoxicated in an orbit of delight, which is not necessarily a bad thing that they had fun on Christmas. Now, the problem is, when you do something like that, you're setting a psychological precedent for the future. The psychological precedent for the future is simply that you're laying the psychological groundwork for embedding into their conscious minds the notion of a mythological Christmas. So in this mythological Christmas, you're telling your kids that uh, the pagan Christ of Christmas who, who goes down the chimney trees, the pagan Christ of Christmas who goes down the Christmas trees and rewards kids uh, to ask whether or not they're good or bad, um, you know, is, is, is a narrative that, that you that you're doing to be entertaining, but the downside of doing that narrative is that you're essentially telling them a fabrication, a lie, a mythology based on a fantasy interpretation of history, and that's not good. Okay, the other thing is you're now sucking their minds away from the true 
biblical account of Christmas, there are so there there are so many golden jewels bursting with light and truth and, and awesome things that are embedded in the Christmas story itself, that there really is no need to invent a, a pagan alternative to the Christmas story. There's no need to do that because the Christmas story in and of itself is mind-blowing and fascinating. If you bother to tell it in the mind-blowing and fascinating way that is embedded all over and into the actual historical account of the birth of the baby Jesus. So you take things like there was no room for the, the baby Christ to be born in the inn or the local, you know, hotel. There was no room for Christ to be born there. It was too crowded. And that symbolizes the fact that even today in worldly societies, in our secular materialistic society, there, there's no room for the birth or arrival of Christ. There's no place for Christ to say to stay in our contemporary uh, materialistic American culture. We don't. The, the, the sub message is we don't have room for Jesus. There's no room for Jesus because every every room in the hotel is taken up, and so there's no room for Jesus. Now. That is, is, is a narrative which is true and is laden with very powerful implications. Because when you tell that story, and it's true, you're telling the story that in our secular, fast-paced, materialistic society, which is obsessed with materialism, there's no room for Jesus. There's no room for the biblical Jesus. There's no room for, the, for, for God who is loved. There's no room for any of that because... Uh, we have in, in America and other Western nations, we have crowded out Jesus with a message of materialism, with sensuality, with parties, with booze, and all kinds of counterfeits and alternatives. And so, you're you're creating a, a counterfeit holiday. You're creating a counterfeit narrative on the birth of Jesus. So, so how that will eventually play out, basically on a logical, rational basis, is, is in the following ways. You are telling your child a fantasy story about Jesus, and you're saying, like I did, well, there's no harm in it. But that, but that question has to be re-examined. Is there harm in it? There potentially could be, because you're telling your child that the Jesus of the Bible is ignored by our secular culture, which it is. There's, there is today no room at the end, the secular end. The secular end represents, I believe, our secularized society. There's no room for Jesus Christ in our secularized society. There's no room at the end for, the, for Christ in our secularized society. And so there's no place for Jesus to stay. So when Jesus and his parents tried to stay at the local inn, there was no room for him to stay because the hotel was so crowded with guests that there was no place, no room, no space, no bed, no, no breakfast, no nothing uh, available to visitors or travelers because all the available rooms were, were taken up. And so there was no room for, for anybody who wanted to see Jesus at the inn, and that's not a good thing. But on the positive side, it is a very adequate illustration of what our society is like. Our society is filled and packed to overflowing with junk. Our society is filled to overflowing with materialism, with alcohol abuse, drug abuse. Our society is overflowing with, with every attempt under the sun for a man or a woman to satisfy themselves with some form of a counterfeit Christmas story that offers a counterfeit joy and a counterfeit peace and a counterfeit Christmas. And so when you, when you allow all of that to be baked in, in the cake mix, so to speak, you, you end up with an oven that's super hot, and in this super hot oven, there's no room for Jesus in the end. There's no room for the followers of Jesus to stay in the end. And so it's a perfect illustration of uh, a society 
which is obsessed with commercialism, a society which is obsessed with everything under the sun. But when it comes to the truly important things, this society, our American society, is completely, it's completely booked up. It has no room whatsoever for Jesus and his followers to stay at the end. And, and that, I think, is, is a transferable concept and an and applicable concept, that there's no room at the end for Jesus. Okay. But the downside is, is that we have all these people now where there's no room for Jesus at the end. And the other part of the problem is, is that um, we have all these guests attempting to stay at the end, all these guests trying to book a room for a night's sleep to celebrate or whatever in town for the holidays. But when, when the day is done, there's no room, there's no, there's no hotel rooms, there's no room, there's no place left over for them to get a room and stay at the end. And so this, this now, what we could describe as a pagan holiday, uh, becomes totally pagan. It becomes totally pagan because this new neo-Christmas is now reinvented. And I remember doing a whole series of shows on the radio on the Paul McGuire uh, Report, the nationally syndicated radio show that aired all across the United States of America. And I remember walking in the gigantic, and this was a huge luxury shopping mall, and what made it so conspicuous was the fact that in this gigantic shopping mall, in which probably in a 20-mile proximity of this shopping mall, it was one of the most biggest drawing shopping malls there, there was in Southern California. It was booming in prosperity and, and affluence. And uh, in this shopping mall, the shopping mall, there was no room at the end for Jesus Christ. There was no room for Jesus. Uh, there was no room for Christian songs and uh, Christian hymns. There was no, there wasn't even room. And we had, and, and, and I, I made the point in my shows, because I knew there was a huge Christian audience, I made the point in my shows that <clears throat> there was no room in the end for Christ, for the message of Christ, for even saying Merry Christmas. There was no room in the end in all of the commercial establishments that wanted to make money off of Christian dollars. They weren't the Christian, not the Christian, the retailers, and I could name the names of the big retailers, the big retailers had no room in their mouths to even respectfully say to their Christian and Jewish customers that were inhabiting their stores to buy gifts for their Christian kids and stuff. They, they couldn't even offer up the most minimal sign of courtesy and respect. And they couldn't, even, these retailers couldn't even offer up the most minimal respect in which they would say things like, Merry Christmas. No, 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 no. They were told by their corporate staff, you know, big places like Walmart and stuff, they were told by their corporate staff to say, Happy Holidays and nothing more. And I found it repugnant. I found it repugnant because there was such an overwhelming number of Christian customers and consumers that were buying products and gifts in all those stores. And those stores didn't even have the decency as they were trying to squeeze every last dollar out of the wallets and the pocketbooks of their customers, they didn't even have the decency of saying Merry Christmas. So this enraged me at the time, and I went on like a crusade where I exhorted the audience quite forcefully, I exhorted the audience quite forcefully that if you want Christianity to be front and center in our society, then you better wake up and be concerned about things like the symbolism of Christianity. Because the symbolism of Christianity, any military general will tell you that the symbolism of Christianity is vitally important. When a nation conquers another nation, one of the first things that they do is they conquer it symbolically. So when you saw the American troops go in and invade uh, Iran, you saw the, 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 no, Iraq, you saw the Iraqi people begin to topple these giant statues with ropes. They began to topple the, the uh, giant statues of Saddam Hussein. 
and this is a normal part of warfare that you would topple all symbolism that that affirmed or acknowledged the the symbolism of the previous ruler and the fact that the previous ruler and his regime was over. Yet Christians couldn't even come to their senses long enough to take a stand for Christ with these, I think, were somewhat weak arguments that, well, you know, it's just symbolism. Hey, wake up. That term, it's just symbolism, reflects your poverty of understanding of warfare, conflict, and occupying territory and taking territory. When secular cultures and secular businesses, because of the demands of economic force and economic might, when those secular giant multinational corporations, when, when they tell their employees, you better say Merry Christmas to all of our customers because most of our customers are Christians, then that has a major sociological impact on society. Society, there's a ripple effect, a shockwave that goes throughout society in which society begins to reinstill and re-honor and revalue uh, Christianity and the symbolism of Christianity. And so this is important to do. It's important to do that. It's not a minimal secondary thing. It's a front and center primary thing. And that's why you notice Jews, when they have sufficient numbers, they make sure that the Star of David and other symbols of a vibrant Judaism are front and center. They don't allow their Judaism to be shoved off in an obscure corner. And then I said, why is it that so many of you ladies can feel so comfortable shopping in these giant shopping malls? You'll buy, you'll spend hundreds of dollars worth of money on gifts, and yet you will not even use the psychological muscle you have. And I know that you have that psychological muscle because I've been in lines where ladies, you didn't get your way. They, they, they cheated you out of your coupon. They didn't give you your sale price or whatever, or God forbid that the salesperson was rude to you. And I've seen these nice Christian ladies literally, literally go off on the store manager, go off and call corporate, go off and, and uh, you know, download on the uh, uh, salesman, Christian ladies, all because they were treated rudely, uh, they didn't have the sale item in stock, and any number of peripheral things, the, the Christian shopper was not treated right. And so by observing the aggressive behavior of the Christian customers, by observing their aggressive behavior, it became obvious to me that these people, these Christian women, were fully equipped with the tenacity. They were fully equipped with the go-get-em attitude. They were fully equipped with the, with the uh, muscle, the psychological muscle necessary to demand that they get their sale price, to demand that they're treated courteously, that, to demand that they, that they get uh, the full sale price, to demand that the, the color of the item that they really wanted was in stock. So, so all these Christians who, who, who give this garbage line about being meek and mild can become wolves when it's important to them. But they will go into these same gigantic shopping malls, and they'll, they'll be perfectly content and shop and spend their money in an environment where the store plays no Christian songs, no Christian Christmas songs, no Christian songs that mention the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, no Christian songs which mention the, the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus. No Christian songs which talk about Merry Christmas. And they're perfectly content to go along with a totally non-Christian environment. They're totally fine with that. They're totally fine with a completely secular, secularized and totally hollow Christian celebration. They won't say a word of complaint. but. If, if their toes are stepped on, or, or the color, or the price isn't right, that, that staff at that store will feel the wrath of God in the form of that woman or man who perceives that they were cheated uh, out of, of the deal they were promised, or the sale price, or whatever. 
In other words, what I'm telling you is when it comes to something that is of great importance to them, they let it all hang out. They're not, they're not as mousy as they pretend to be. And so that's my point. If, something's, if something is important to you, if something matters to you, this is, see, this is how you expose the truth from falsehood. When something is really important to you, if something is really of value to you, then you will stand up aggressively and fight for it. You will stand up aggressively and demand that that your rights be honored, that your price is honored, that you get the, the color you wanted, and everything else. You will stand up and demand that the store, the corporation, or whatever delivers on what they promised you. And God help them. You know what I'm talking about? I hate to believe me. You know what I'm talking about. And I know what I'm talking about because I'm guilty of the same thing. So we both know what we're both talking about now, don't we? So you, you, you stand up for what you believe is rightfully yours. Now, that means you take a stand for what is important to you. So how is it that it's not important for you that your shopping mall, your local shopping mall, is not singing Christian hymns? How is it that your local shopping mall is not uh, talking about Jesus? How is it that your local shopping mall is not telling the Christmas story? and it's not having their employees say Merry Christmas. Why all those anti-Christian things are happening, why there's a total absence of the, the Christmas story in your mall, is because, for the most part, that is not important to the majority of Christians living and shopping in that geographic area. They're, yeah, they're all upset when they get cheated out of their sale price. They're all upset if, if you don't have the size of the item you're trying to buy. They're all upset about any number of things. But they don't seem to show any upsetness over um, shopping in a store which literally is doing the equivalent of spitting in your face because they don't honor Christmas. They won't even pay you the respect of saying Merry Christmas. They won't even pay you the respect of of uh, honoring Christmas or saying Merry Christmas or whatever. Whereas, if you go to a Jewish neighborhood, which I have, because in L.A. there's all kinds of neighborhoods, if you go to a Jewish neighborhood where there's predominantly Jewish customers, and that manager and, 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 and those store owners know that the majority or a sizable percentage of their customers are Jewish, and so they would not dare insult their customers by saying Merry Christmas. They would not dare in insulting their customers by uh, not acknowledging the fact that it was the Hanukkah season or some other Jewish festival holiday. You better believe the store owner, the store managers, the store employees were trained, were, were cultivated, and were prepared for holidays that their Jewish customers uh, are celebrating. And so they go out of their way because they respect their customers. They go out of their way to respectfully acknowledge their customers and the faith of their customers. Now, in the same way, it should be a given. This sh we shouldn't even be having this conversation. It should be a given that during either Jewish holidays or Islamic holidays or Christian holidays or whatever. Holidays represent a large section of the people that are, are, are the shoppers and the good customers of, of those stores. You better believe that if they want to stay in business, that they honor those holidays. And so, Christians need to completely reject this passive, this passivity. Christians need to totally reject this. La di da attitude where where oh it's okay that you insult and trample on my faith yeah go ahead and take all my money and I'll spend two thousand dollars in Christmas presents at at the mall but I won't say a blanking thing about the fact that I'll spend two thousand dollars at the at the mall and you won't wish me a merry Christmas you won't sing any Christmas songs you you will have no acknowledgement of the word Christ 
It'll just say, you're, you're perfectly okay with words like happy holidays. Have you ever said happy holidays to a cashier or anybody anywhere? When you say the words happy holidays, it, it, it rolls out of your mouth like a, like a roll of quarters from the bank wrapped in, in a hard cardboard paper. It rolls out of your mouth and it hits the floor with a thud. Why? Because it's, it's unnatural for Christians to ignore the vocalization of the word Merry Christmas during Christmas time. It's unnatural. You have to actually force yourself to behave in such an unnatural way. And so, if we're going to win back our country, it begins with all the small things that we don't think really matter, but in, but in actuality, they totally matter. And what I'm talking about is there must be a refiring of respect for the culture, the holidays, and yes, the religious beliefs of the majority of people in this country. There must be a rekindling of respect. And that's how, through, through the honoring of symbolism, you, you take back a culture. You see, in the same way, uh, you, you apply public pressure. You see, we didn't lose the, the, the problems with the public school system teaching hardcore pornography in the school system did not begin or start with this recent intrusion of the most obscene, quadruple, X-rated, super adult perverted uh, promotion of videos and promotion of links to video sites, etc., etc. It didn't begin with that. The, the first volley of the spiritual battle began with the all-out disrespect for Christian values that goes way back. Where this spiritual battle actually began, for those that weren't asleep and remember how it began, the battle for spiritual battle, the battle for spiritual for our spiritual uh, beliefs began not with the hardcore pornography and the unspeakable being shown to our children. The 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 hardcore spiritual battle began with the stripping and ripping of the Ten Commandments off the hallways and the doorways of the classrooms of the schools of America. That's where it began. The spiritual battle over Christian morality in America began with the tearing down of uh, Christian values and Christian principles from the hallways and the doorways of the schools of America. That was like the first volley. Then the second volley was the, the tacit approval or the, or the denial of, of, and the embarrassment of speaking up your voice and raising an objection when the television stations began to infect your child with filth from every corner, and you didn't say a thing. And by, and by saying nothing, you saying nothing was the equivalent of you saying, this is perfectly okay, and I consider this is, uh, is moral, and in fact, you saying nothing was the equivalent of you voting yes for hyper-immorality in the school system. So today we have boys and girls. I saw a picture of it the other day on uh, one of these social media sites. I forgot the name. But a big mainstream one. And, and they showed a, a boy and a girl. Um, I don't know what sex they originally were, but they had their, their, their nipples surgically split open and removed with a razor blade-like instrument. Now that horrific, barbaric, sadistic, horror movie-type surgery that was being performed on young boys and girls, that didn't happen out of, out of the middle of nowhere. It happened as a progression where you allowed this to continue, you allowed this to happen Day after day, season after season, you allowed the continual mockery. You allowed the continual uh, rejection. You allowed the continual humiliation of Christians and Christian values. All right.
I don't know about you. You can be there's two types of people you can be in this world. You can be the person who stands up for what is right and stands up for what is true and stands up for the things of God, all in the spirit of love, not in the spirit of hatred, not in the spirit of anger, not in the spirit of judgmentalism, not in the spirit of hatred. You can be a person who stands up for the things of God in a spirit of love, or you can be that person who stands up for nothing and allows our nation to literally be flushed down the toilet and trampled upon. Now, America is going to go in either one direction or the other, depending upon our collective behavior in the next number of years. America will either come to its senses, we will have a revival, but that's all contingent upon whether or not we will rally around the truth, we will call each other into accountability, and whether or not we will take a stand for the things that we believe in. Now, if we do that, we have an excellent opportunity of taking back our land for Jesus Christ. But if we continue on the same old path of apathy, then we are going to be swallowed up as a nation into some kind of Adolf Hitler, Nazi-like totalitarian abyss. Because that's where we're headed right now. Right now we're headed, with mathematical precision, we're headed right now into a Nazi-like totalitarian abyss. Is that where you want to end up? Because that's where we're going. But the choice is yours. You make the choice. You call the shots. So don't blame God when what is going to inevitably happen happens. Don't say, well, there's nothing that could have been done about it. Don't say, well, you know, I did what I could, but in fact, you did nothing. Don't say all of that nonsense. Say what is true. Say, Lord, this happened on my watch. You called, especially those of you that are ministers especially among those that are of you that are ministers. If you stood by idly and said nothing and did nothing, as our nation became more and more anti-Christian, and as our nation became more and more at enmity and in antagonism against God, if you stood, stood by and did nothing while this anti-Christ spirit gained in power and momentum, then you are among those who are responsible for and guilty for the tragic ruination of our nation and the tragic moral and spiritual freefall of our nation. You're responsible for it because you knew what was happening, you could see what was happening at a distance, and you chose, with an act of your will, you chose to do nothing about it, you chose to to pretend you didn't see what was happening. And because of your apathy and because of your collection of apathetic choices, you are responsible for the death, destruction, and the, and the widespread deterioration of the, of the collapse of Judeo-Christian America. Now, by the way, let's, let's examine this honestly and meticulous, meticulously. Along with the devaluation of what is known as a Christian or a Judeo-Christian America, along with that devaluation, there comes an accompanying self-destruction, which consists of like, like a vortex or a whirlpool or a quicksand function where all biblical morality, all goodness, all light— all choices that would be approved by God, all of those things increase and increase and increase in inertia and in speed. So unrighteousness increases. The, the fact that we stand by idly and do nothing, this increases. And so as all of this stuff increases, kind of like a vortex or a whirlpool, there, there's an intensification of a destructive energy that if you allow the genie out of the box, if you allow this destructive energy to increase and increase and increase in momentum, if you allow the destructive energy to increase in momentum, the next step is that along with the increasing amount of destructive energy that increases, 
along with that, there, there comes an accompanying hydroplane-like force, which functions as a force multiplier, which functions as uh, a magnifier of energies. So you have energies that are magnified significantly. Those energies can be the energies of godliness, the energies of love, the energies of righteousness, the energies of right and wrong, the energies of uh, uh, decency and good. All of those energies increase and increase and increase. Conversely, if you allow by default all of these energies to decrease and decrease and decrease by default, if you continue to allow by default the steady decreasing of energies which permit, which allow um, the, the, the spiritual gates to be opened and the powers of darkness and the power of the demonic to be unleashed upon our land. If you are one of the people that allow the forces of the demonic to increase, then you will be one of those that are directly responsible for the amplification of, the multiplication of, and the intensity of a supernatural power of evil, of wickedness, of uh, an internal Antichrist rebellion that not only grips a hold over America, but grips a hold over the uh, moral centers of Americans and grips a hold of the uh, decision-making centers of America. So, so what happens is, everywhere you look, you will see the acceleration and the multiplication of evil, great evil, multiply with little or no resistance. So let's say it once again. Everywhere you look and go, you will see the multiplication of the evil forces that are a product of your decisions and your choices, where every day you choose with an act of your will, you choose to make the decision to do evil and to do wrong. Or conversely, you make the decision to go with the flow, to not resist evil, to not resist totalitarianism, to not resist the shining of the light of Jesus Christ, to not resist absolute right and absolute wrong. And by taking part in the collective mindset or the collective mind or the collective will, by taking part in the collective will, of millions of Americans who have, in a sense, passed the point of no return morally, you have, through your complicitness, have chosen to participate in the sudden and unexpected demise of America and the American people. So that what will happen before your eyes is what happened before the eyes of ancient Israel. What happens before your eyes is the full-blown manifestation of the spirit of Antichrist, where you will see with your eyes a kind of vacuum-like sucking power, which takes on a life of its own. And when this vacuum-like sucking power takes on a life of its own, it creates the explosive release of an enhanced force multiplication, which grabs hold of the human personality, grabs hold of the human will, and it's like, at this point, it's like somebody stomping on the accelerator, and when somebody stomps on the accelerator and burns rubber as, as the acceleration continues at, at, at a massive speed, you begin to notice that everything around you is a blur because you are no longer operating within what used to be perceived as the as the common agreed upon norms of society no you've made a departure from the common norms of society you have decided to watch entertainment which is nihilistic perverse degrading in every respect of the word and the only way you can turn back the only way you can put listen to me with everything in me because what i'm talking to you about what I'm talking to you about is not nonsense. What I'm talking to you about 
affects and impacts every dimension of your life with a velocity and a force. What I'm talking to you about is the fact that if you continue to move in a state of apathy, if you continue to move in a state of lethargy, if you continue to move in a state of lethargy and apathy, in which you allow anything, and you always have a justification for allowing anything, if you continue to relinquish your control and allow anything to happen, then you have opened the door in your environment, in your culture, in your world, and your society. You have opened the door not just to evil. You have opened the door to, like, the volcanic release of what could be called the unthinkable. Now, remember, the historical precedent always follows, and it goes something like this. The unthinkable is those set of circumstances that begin to spontaneously erupt given certain situations congealing together or, or coming together in, in an enhanced force multiplication. When you allow this um, force dynamic to accelerate and to increase, you are allowing uh, the acceleration and the multiplication of evil to increase in every dimension and every factor in our society. So what you can expect realistically is that in every factor and in every dimension of society, what you can expect to happen is a, a fully operational riptide of evil which possesses its own unique gravitational flow and has an enormous, enormous riptide power which will suck out individuals who are, have managed to swim out into the ocean somewhere between where the riptide will pull you out and somewhere in between where uh, you will stand stagnantly by the seashore. There's that indefinite and indetermined middle place when you're swimming in the ocean and you see the lifeguard stands, etc. I know because I was swimming with my son many years ago. And I noticed that at a particular place, and he thought he was Superman, he was overconfident. I was probably underconfident because I understood fully, he did not, I understood fully the power of the riptide, the power of the ocean in Southern California in a particular time of day when the power of the ocean will magnify and overtake violently the power of the swimmer, no matter how powerful or how excellent that swimmer is, that swimmer is now reached a place of no return, and that swimmer is now incapable of overriding the riptide with, with his swimming motion, the kicking of his legs, and just that raw gravitational pull of the ocean as it sucks the swimmer out deeper and deeper into the ocean current. So in this particular case, what was happening is my son, who was overconfident because he was a great swimmer, he was ignoring the fact that he was suddenly being pulled out with greater and greater force. He was suddenly being pulled out, and the gravitational force of the riptide had engaged his body and legs, and he was being pulled out with a, with a velocity of current that became so strong that no matter how great a swimmer he was, he did not have the physical strength or the physical ability to overcome or overpower the countercurrent, no matter how hard and furious he swam against the tide. So you see, at a certain point, as many of you know in the ocean, you'll, you'll cross an invisible line in the ocean where no matter how great a swimmer you may be, no matter how great of, of shape you may be in, you will it will be impossible for you to overcome the gravitational power of the tide. And so you can kick your legs and move your arms, and you can swim with, with every ounce of incredible strength within your body. And yet, I remember coming to the place as I was trying to rescue him, I was getting sucked out even deeper than he was. 
and I was trying to motion the lifeguard, who at that moment was preoccupied. And I, I could not, with all my strength, with all my human ability, I could not move out fast enough past, past where the current was sucking both of us. And where the current was sucking both of us was deeper out into the water, where the only way we could have survived would have been to swim or to swim over and beyond the powerful current. So our only hope for survival was to swim beyond the powerful current. If indeed we could swim beyond the powerful current, we could have gotten past this like jet stream of, of force that was pulling us out deeper and deeper into the water. And where the water was pulling us was towards the Gulf of Mexico, because, because we were now swimming into a riptide. We were now swimming into a Gulf current that was so powerful that, that the only way that we could have conquered it would have been to swim over the riptide and get into a pool of tranquility where we could have swum against uh, the strength of the tide. Now, we could not do that. He could not do that. And so part of me was you know, panicking, thinking, this is not good. But the reality is, he suddenly, and it was from all his swimming classes and swimming training and swimming athletic meets, out of, out of, I was exhausted, but out of the middle of nowhere, he summoned from himself what appeared to look like supernatural strength. He summoned from himself like a supernatural strength where he was able to re-engage his, I guess through pure adrenaline, he was able to re-engage his physical, biological force to survive. And using his pure physical, biological force to survive, he managed to swim over the riptide, over the current. And that pushed him out, oh yeah, way deeper into the ocean, but it pushed him out into a zone where the waters were like tranquil. The waters were like peaceful, and in the peaceful tranquility of those waters, he managed to find uh, a safe place, and he, he managed to find a safe place of refuge. Now, nations like America and other nations function in similar modalities in that oceans uh, and other aberrational currents can seem to behave normally, and you can seem to anticipate the, the current, the strength of the current, and your ability to swim against the tide of the current. But the ocean can be very tricky, and the ocean can really fool you, because at some point, the ocean will like flip on you, the ocean will display Without any warning, the ocean will display an unbelievable force and unbelievable energy in which, using a mind all of its own, it will, it will uh, rip you from a downward current. In this case, it was going towards the Gulf of Mexico. It will rip you towards a downward current in which you're carried along with a fierceness and with almost a violence, you're being carried along. And no matter how hard and how fast you swim, in every attempt that you can uh, muster, everything you can do that you're attempting to muster to swim against the current, to swim against the tide, all of a sudden becomes totally futile. And you lose your ability to conquer the current and conquer the tide. And so at this place, you're in a very dangerous position because you miscalculated about 45 minutes ago. 45 minutes ago, you had the opportunity to change direction. 45 minutes ago, you had the opportunity to, to outsmart the tide. 20, uh, 45 minutes ago, you had the opportunity to circumvent the power of the tide. But now you've missed that opportunity, and you've missed your opportunity to, to pass by the tide. You've missed that opportunity. And so now, you can either muster all your strength and fight against the tide with all your biological strength, or you can try to use every ounce of energy you have 
to to find a pocket of safety within within the waters, the rough waters you're trying to navigate. And it's in that expectation you're hoping that you can fa- find like a cross current or at least a, a neutral current which will protect you, which will keep you safe and enable you to to find security and safety in the middle of a riptide. And so you, you have no choice but to go for broke. You go for it. Now, here's the analogy. In a nation like America, you can see endless television programs and news programs of societal chaos, of drug epidemics, of vaccine epidemics, of uh, sociological warfare, race warfare, uh, economic crisis. You, you watch night after night after night, you watch examples of what could be considered parallels to the initial riptide of the ocean water pulling you uh, into a very dangerous zone. And you're you're not quite cognizant of the fact that you're being pulled into a dangerous zone, but the fact of the matter is you are being pulled into a dangerous zone. And so you arrive in that place where the currents are pulling you, and the currents are far stronger than your physical, biological ability to overcome those currents and your physical, biological ability to uh, propel yourself into a cross current where you hope you can place yourself in the cross current and and ride the cross current uh, into like a like a southern current towards the Gulf of Mexico, this will pull you way the heck out in the middle of the ocean, but at least you won't drown momentarily. Your hope though, your your desperate hope though, is that you will be able to ride this cross current to some kind of momentary safety. And that's what it's all about. It's a desperate last move to 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 place yourselves in a cross current that will allow you to achieve a place of temporary safety. Now, if you can do that, you will find security in the cross current. If you enter into the cross current, but you fail to catch its strength and you fail to, in a sense, surf its power, you may well drown and you may go well down to your death. It's a very strong possibility. Your only hope is to tenaciously enter the cross tide, the rip tide. Your only hope is to is to dive either over water or underwater and catch a different current, a current that's going to pull you to safety versus the current that's going to pull you to your death. So the same thing happens with nations like America. You see this constant increase of chaos events of crime, of the breakdown of the military, of uh, banking crises, of uh, uh, riots and the, the weakening of our dollar, the weakening of our military. And you begin to notice that one crisis event is piling up upon another crisis event, which is piling up on top of another crisis event. So all of a sudden, you are placed in this series of having to fend yourself off from one crisis event to another crisis event to another crisis event, all the while trying to breathe deeply and keep your cool. And so as you're doing this, you're trying to find the current of water which will propel you to safety. And so as you do everything you possibly can to navigate yourself within these hostile currents, you notice that the the external dangerous factors are continuing to play out before you like a drumbeat with ever-increasing severity, ever-increasing strength, and ever-increasing danger. It's just like a steady drumbeat. One beat after another, you notice this ever-increasing crescendo of danger being pounded into the drum skin, waking you up and calling forth your adrenaline flow. So while this is happening, you you have to make the fatal decision because time has run out. Time has run out and you need to make the fatal decision. If you stay in the zone that you're in now, you are going to inevitably get sucked into the cross currents and you're inevitably going to die or be pulled into a dangerous riptide or to be pulled down towards the, 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 the southern part of Mexico 
which will spell your doom. That's one option. The other option is you biologically propel yourself. Hopefully, your muscles have been trained to swim, and you biologically propel yourself to overcome the cross currents in just enough time so that you can find a, a safety pool of current, a safety pool of current that will not only protect you, guard you, but a safety pool of current that will kind of surround you with a protective bubble that will send you forth in this protective bubble of water, and you will be sent barreling down the coastline, kind of like you're, you're, you're swimming on a surfboard, except your body is the surfboard. And if you can continue to do this long enough, your hope is that as you continue to do this long enough, riding this surfboard, a bubble of water, that it will carry you not only downstream, but slowly and incrementally, it will carry you subtly and subtly closer and closer to the coastline. And so your expectation is, is that this that, that this surf of water will carry you closer and closer to the coastline. And as you come closer and closer to the coastline, you pray with everything in you that you'll collide into the coastline and that your feet and your arms will roll up on the beach and you'll toss and turn on the beach, which is sand, and you'll kind of log jam in the hard sand and you won't continue to flow down the coastline. You'll be temporarily protected. And this is your, your last hope, so to speak. So again, the same thing happens with nations. You come to the place where you have, you come to the place where you cannot, you cannot delay making this life and death decision any longer. You have run out of time. You cannot delay making this decision any longer. You must make the right decision now, because if you delay making the decision, the very possibility of your dying or death is looming eminent. And so you have to make the decision of whether you're going to try to go out further into the sea and catch a, 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 a ferocious riptide, or you're going to have to make the other decision, which is to kind of surf the coastline and very subtly allow your body like a surfboard to be pulled closer and closer in to the coastline or closer and closer in to, to the beach and the sand. If you can navigate yourself to do that, you'll, you'll spin around on the hard sand. You'll roll down the, the beach line and the coastline in the sand, but you will, you will quickly uh, stop rolling. You might be a little bit banged up and dizzy, but you'll stop rolling and you will, you will achieve a homeostasis, an equilibrium between you, your body, and the beach and you'll land hard on the beach, but your life will be saved. Now, the same principle works with nations. The nations can be affected by sociological, economic, military, immigration, banking type of uh, uh, coastlands and, and beaches and being pulled uh, from the tide to the beachhead. That, that entire series of dynamics can happen to you as the ocean will pull you closer into the beach. And as the ocean pulls you in closer to the beach, you may have one last opportunity to utilize the beach as a, as a landing space where you can twirl over and over again and, and, in a sense, land on the beach and save your life. And so... Oceans, like people, coastlands, like people, if you're smart and you choose the right timing and at the right time, if you're smart, you can navigate yourself on the coastline. You can navigate yourself where the water runs into the coastline and potentially spare your life. But you've got to be, you've got to walk around with a heightened awareness. If you do not notice the initial warning signs, such as the coastline, and the beach line. If you do not notice the increase in velocity of the uh, riptide currents, if you don't notice the, the, the function of the water as it 
as it violently pulls you out to sea. If you don't notice all those variables, if you're oblivious to all those variables, then you're losing your momentary and short-lived opportunities to, to radically save your life before it's too late. Okay, this is Paul McGuire. Pay attention to the tide. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us.